This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Farewell, My Lovely, a 1940 novel by Raymond Chandler, uh, starring Philip Marlowe, who I always thought uh, got confused with Philip Marlowe and Philip Morris. They're <laughs> not the same thing, but... Um, they smoke a lot. They do but they should, smoke could, a lot. They could... Uh, yeah, he could uh, do commercials for Philip Morris. I think so. Yeah, I, except he wouldn't be the guy to do commercials, you know. No, he wouldn't. No, he because he doesn't like to get paid, really. No, he doesn't like to get paid. Likes well, to get sapped on the head a lot. <laughs> yeah. Not like to get paid. Not with a heart of gold. So of gold. apparently, yeah. not everybody thought this was the greatest book. Is my. <laughs> My, um, Did other people think this was a tolerable story? I don't want to give away my hand. Loved it. Loved really? It. She loved yeah. it. Really? Yeah. Paul, what did you it, think of it? It starts off, it didn't start off the way I expected. It started off really randomly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it feels like, and I looked up later that my feelings were true. This, this felt like it was kind of like a couple of stories and things smashed together and it turns out this is actually kind of what Chandler did with this is kind of like what Philip K. Dick does. Yeah, it's and a fix-up. He, he, he fix up a couple stories into one narrative, and but the, yeah, but the, the joins are a little obvious. I mean, I was entertained, mind you, but it's just like, okay, so he just randomly runs into this guy and we <laughs> randomly have this, then we have randomly have that, then we randomly have this, and now we're in Santa Monica, except we don't call it Santa Monica, and now we're on a boat and then right. we're... And, and then we're dumped off at the exit. It, it and the yeah. climax seems odd. It, it it's a ver- it's not what I expected at all. That's yeah. so polite. But did you like it? <laughs> I like the experience more. I like the parts more than the whole. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I mean, as a whole, this is like, what is this? This is not a coherent narrative story. That is like, oh, I can sink into this story and love it. It's like. There are lovely pieces of dialogue, description, mm-hmm. the character, mm-hmm. the setting. But as a whole story, unfortunately, I was underwhelmed. If this is the first time I'd ever heard of Raymond Chandler, I would – luckily it wasn't. I was like, I wouldn't touch another Raymond Chandler because, like, what's <laughs> the point? So, that's so funny. Oh. And I read it and I said, I want to read all the rest of the Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. Oh, how funny. I'm high-fiving Paul. Because I felt like it was a mess. I liked a lot of the pieces, and I really kind of liked it up through the psychic part. Mm. And that's where you started. I started to feel like it was all mushed together, and it was hard for me to keep track of. And the thing with the Mm -hmm. boat, I was like, I get it, but, you know, we didn't have to go through all this, right? And so um, I remember the first time I read it. I've read all Chandler's books except for The High Window. Mm. Um, And... I was like, this has been my least favorite. And so I started rereading going, oh, my gosh, this is still my least favorite. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, sometimes you reread and it's fine. And no, and this to me didn't even have as many great pieces of dialogue as I've seen in other ones that I really enjoyed and drove everybody crazy reading out loud to them. So this is I had the a second one. This is the second novel, right, as a Philip Marlowe writer. Um, mm. 
Uh, I, 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 I got to agree I with you, uh, Julie, in a large respect. This plot is terrible. The plot is terrible. I, no, terrible. no, I agree there. The plot is bad. And so why do you love it, Misa? Because it's so stylish. It is so stylish. Mm-hmm. That's why. Because it just like puts you in a place and you know what? Okay. So I read a, a quote from him and he said, my whole career is based on the idea that the formula doesn't matter. The thing that counts is what you do with the formula. That is to say, it's a matter of style. It's all about the style. And okay. it has such high style. You know? Well, That's- see, and I will read Chandler and not care about the plot for all any of his other books for the very same reason you're saying. If it kind of starts to fall apart, I'm like, oh, but he's saying it so beautifully. Mm. And for this one, I did not feel that. And that's why, because the second time I'm like, oh, well, I'll love his writing. And this time I just, maybe it's what Paul said, the joins are kind of obvious or something. I was just like, I never felt that. Mm. It, 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 it hurts the novel. I mean, I, I like the dialogue. I like just spending time in the room with him. But this <laughs> novel is a, is a mess because of the, <laughs> because of the way it's put together. And um, we've read, I was wondering if Paul would have noticed this as well, but we've read a lot of Philip K. Dick and this reminds me a lot of Philip K. Dick, which is it, yeah. pretty funny. Cause he, he would do that too. Sometimes he's like, okay, got to make a novel, got to put together a novel. Oh, what stories can I cannibalize? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gets three or four together. And he's okay. Here we go. <laughs> Typing yeah. away, and sometimes he pulls it off, uh, and sometimes he doesn't. It's always still worth reading because mm-hmm. it's Philip K. Dick, or in this case, it's uh, you know Raymond Chandler. However, um, it's strange because some people think that this is his best novel, um, and then oh, uh, God, those no, people no, usually no. think that the long. The opposite people think that The Long Goodbye is his best novel. I've only read the two, but I got to tell oh. you, Long Goodbye kicks this book's ass, at least in the form of being a novel. There are individual scenes in here and individual emotions and rides and all that stuff that are great. Um, and I, I even like some of some of the plot. I don't like it all mushed together like this. I think it's pretty awful. I, yeah, and I'd say, you know, I my two favorites are The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye, which are justly um, celebrated. But even The Lady in the Lake and The Little Sister, I feel like, are, to me, they're more cohesive. And the style is just, I mean, his writing is just, mm-hmm. he's clicking, you know. Um, but that's just me. So one, one of the, uh, I didn't actually find out the way, I guess, um by reading the Wikipedia entry, but I was looking through a list of his his short stories, and there was one called The Mandarin's Jade. Like, That's funny. Yeah. There's a short story called The Mandarin's Jade. Uh, okay, so he's recycling some idea that he thought was interesting, right? So the three stories that he, he it turns out, he took it from, one's called Try the Girl, about a, a hoodlum looking for his old girlfriend. So that's Moose, right? Mm-hmm. Mander's Jade is about a jewel theft that may or may not have actually happened. Yep. And then one called The Man Who Liked Dogs. <laughs> which, what? Which is uh, where a detective is looking for a criminal and his search ultimately takes him to a gambling boat anchored off the coast of Santa <laughs> Monica. Yeah. Um, so there's our sort of th- three main threads, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and... I, I mean, I see that he did string them together, 
but there's a lot of messiness, and uh, it's unfortunate I, we didn't get all the movies to you, Julie. But oh, no. there's three different I movies. I look movies up myself. I watched two of them. I watched two of them as well. I watched all three. <laughs> I and are I, you found the time? I overdosed so bad on this story. <laughs> I got the three books. There's there was two audio dramas. Oh, actually, there's three audio dramas. I only listened to one of them and not completely. But I have to tell you, I also had another version of the story, which is the dreams I had last night. Oh. <laughs> Trans, transported the plot uh, and the characters and everything to Italy uh, during the oh. American occupation of, of Rome after uh, they drove the Nazis out, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, that's weird. I, I wonder why they would do it that way. <laughs> like I'm watching this as a dream, right? Yeah, and uh, I love this. It was really interesting. It made kind of like an interesting, like, Mice, you, uh, you and I will both watch the, um, the Japanese version of the Long Goodbye, right? Yes, we did. And that was an interesting, like, it it changes things to put it in a different setting. And one of the things I was wondering all during reading this is when is it exactly set? Because it came out in forty. So, uh, in the different movie versions, um, for example, the 75 with Robert Mitchum, um, they make a big point of saying exactly, you know, what's happening in the news. They have the guy walk in with a newspaper, and you can see the headline on one side of the paper is, uh, Russia invades, or Germany invades Russia. Oh. And then on the other side of the paper, it says, uh, Detective Kills Two, and it shows Robert Mitchum or something like that. Um, And then... I guess that Falcon one, it seemed like it was set when it was filmed. Filmed. It looked like it, like yeah. Like in the 50s yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh, it's the 40s. 40s. But after the war, right? Not during the war? Or whatever. I don't know. Um, it, it felt like when it was, right? So yeah. when exactly is this set? Because it's still the Depression, right? It's 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 set during Prohibition because, because of the all... Oh, because this is all the stuff about secret alcohol and uh, the lady not holding with people who drink, and oh. and oh. There's, there's, there's this quotes about yeah the medicinal use of liquor. Think, so it's definitely think, set during prohibition. I don't think so. I think it's set after prohibition, but shortly after. Because no, because because it's set, because it feels all illegal. All the alcohol feels illegal. I she, it's not like I, she was it like she was a holdover right. from the, the prohibition. Yeah, right? and the thing is, is the very first scene right is him uh, coming out of a barber shop or something. Well, but and he it says he's be... looking for a relief uh, hair barber who might have been working at this place, and the relief is like a it's a program under Roosevelt, right? So. Everybody right. gets paid, but they have to work. Right, right. But think, remember the, I can't remember her name, but the woman who's got the house, uh, yes, she goes yes. off and buys a bottle of gin and comes yeah. back with it. And they she's seen doing it. So she can go to a liquor store. Her whole house is full of gin bottles, right? Right. Yeah. And the first uh-huh. scene takes place in a bar with the bartender. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure that it's right after Prohibition's ended. And it's like sort of just, it's... I mean, seriously, so guys, this is, is still the, there. this is the soakingest full of alcohol book I've ever read. <laughs> well, I don't know, The Long Goodbye had a lot of drinking, but Every still. Every page was like sodden to the, you know, corners and the spine with alcohol. Yeah. 
Good alcohol, bad alcohol. I have to say, somebody was always trying to get him to have a drink. Oh my God, he's he's always trying to get a drink. He's and the other thing is is because I watched the the three movies, listened to the audio drama, uh, mm-hmm. and had the dream, and then read the book. Right? Oh poor Tom. <laughs> I started seeing the same scenes over and over again, right? Uh, in the yeah. different verses, and I realized something really interesting. This is actually it's very Philip K. Dick. It's it's totally autobiographical, right? So all oh, of the right. it seems like it, yeah. So all of the scenes where, you know, he's he's out in a canyon and he gets hit over the head and falls down, right? Um, and then he wakes up talking to himself and uh, there's a girl standing there with a flashlight pointing in his face, right? Like that scene, that's got to have actually happened to him, except nobody sapped him in the head. He sapped himself with alcohol, right? He's drinking right. so much that he is passing, he's blacking out all the time. Mm-hmm. There's and, a certain, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, and so when we go to that really weird scene, that hospital, I'm like, yes. oh god, of course, I like exactly, I know what's going on now. Oh yeah. my god! And that made me think of the beginning of Nine Princes of Amber again. Uh, oh sure, same situation. Same situation. Oh, yeah. yeah, same thing. That's interesting. But, and I hadn't thought of that in terms of his own life, but it makes sense because to me. One of the one of the funniest and yet saddest stories about the writing of Double Indemnity, which he wrote with Billy Wilder, mm-hmm. was that they did not get along and Billy Wilder but they but they forced each other into like one of the best screenplays ever done and Billy Wilder actually drove him back to drinking and he'd been he dry. Did. Oh, you know? well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's and it's the funny story is the fact that they, you know, just the interaction of the two and the things they'd say about each other. So you're reading it removed by time but you think about this book and you think about his struggles and what you're seeing here based on what you're saying and then you're just like i already was sad that he was driven back to drink but you know billy wilder being the jerk he could be and he could be <laughs> well, a huge jerk. raymond Chan- chandler was no prize either well that's the problem is but the problem yeah but the problem is they were both geniuses and two geniuses working together did this to each other you know so anyway uh, just my side note on the alcoholism there's a, there's a certain self-loathing about this character, yep, you know, yeah. like when he's talking to Jesse and he just says, I, I, I feel so great. Like just trampling her down and, and all the people he just, like, he just, he makes himself, he does things and he knows he's doing terrible things sometimes. And, and he just like, can't stop. He just can't stop yeah. himself from being an asshole. Although I really like him. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely setting the seeds for, 40s and 50s noir films that this is the kind of character that they take and fold spindle and mutilate and turn into whole bunches of uh movies mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. that sort of gray sometimes self-loathing definitely definitely not a good guy or a bad guy just you know a guy that gets likes a bit of roughing getting his stuff done mm-hmm. and and he and he himself chandler he tried to kill himself right I'm, I'm at least I, once. I'm assuming absolutely yes. But um, uh, do you guys? Uh, I want to go back to Long Goodbye. I'm just on the website for it, uh, the Wikipedia entry for a moment. Um, in the Long Goodbye, it says uh, this is some critics consider it the Long Goodbye inferior to The Big Sleep and Farewell, My Lovely, but others rank it as the his his best work. It's like I, I would not put these two books together at all. I would say like if. Long Goodbye is like a standout because it's it's so well put together. But mm-hmm. what's so interesting is they're very similar, right? 
they're very similar books. They're, um, they're very similar in terms of this, this. It's that style. But not just style. Think about this. There's a character, uh, the uh, the writer. The writer is and, like the with the drinking, yeah. With the drink, oh, with the drinking, with the the crazy wife stuff, right? Uh, there's also yeah. some craziness there. There's the a self-loathing that uh, where he runs into the sea, uh, right? The writer runs into the sea and uh, oh yeah, and ch- uh, Marlo chases him, right? And yeah. in different versions of the story, uh, we get different versions. So I'm, I'm getting confused as to which one's the movie, which one's the book, right? But that's actually mentioned in this book. He says, I felt like running into the sea or something to that effect. And that's a recurring theme. Yeah. I mean, that it's a, something he did or thought about all the time. And why do you do that? Oh, go for a night swim while you're drunk. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Most drownings, <laughs> how do they happen? Hey, hey, right. let's go down to the beach, huh? Right, while they're fully loaded, right? And they pass out, um, and then they're not in good enough condition to get back. This is a serious, serious issue. And, I mean, I think that the the idea of it, they're coming off a of prohibition, right? Um, I was trying to work out the math exactly. To So Moose has been in prison for uh six years or seven years of his eight year stretch mm-hmm. yeah right? and i think it's seven years of his eight year stretch um so it, it's, it's very possible that it's actually set in 39 or, or even 40 right? well because he would have been writing it and if it came out in 40 he'd have been putting it all together yeah in 39 so that and would make sense been, because he's recycling it from old stories right he can put it in any period he wants um there's a, there's a whole lot of things going on below the surface that are working to make this this novel work. But um, if if that gin joint at the beginning of the story had the same sign up, yeah, um, eight years ago, it can't be in the middle of the it, oh, it can't be in the middle of the thirties, right? Right. right. Uh, the thing is, is this is not a real town or a real world in a certain sense. So maybe I'm going. It, it's kind of ti- it's kind of timeless that way. Totally, so. it's set in uh, Dixon Hillland, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. he's not worried about that. You, got, oh, you, you get that reference? Yeah, the, the Picard detective. Right. There's a, there's another Sam Spade uh, and Phil Marlowe world, right? Yeah. I, another thing I was thinking of as I was watching this was: Have any of you ever seen Cast a Deadly Spell? Yes. No. Yeah. Mm-mm, no. Cast a Deadly Spell was a early '90s TV movie starring Fred Ward as as 1940s gumshoe H.P. Lovecraft. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So so it mix it mixes this sort of noir world with uh, magic and tentacled beasties and yeah. So that 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 movie I love to pieces. I wish I could find it on DVD. I, I can get it streaming, but I'd YouTube. actually like. <laughs> I, I'd actually like to have a copy because that's that's you can download it from YouTube. Well, maybe, yeah. but but yeah. So I kept thinking of like how that movie borrows tropes straight out of Chandler, like yeah. this. You know, the fem the femme fatale, the 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 convoluted mm-hmm. plot, getting tossed over the head again, again hard drinking. Yeah. Well, no one's harder than Hammett's uh, uh, Dashiell Hammett's characters, but yeah, yeah Sam's. Oh my yeah. gosh! So you read something like Red Harvest, and you're like, oh, oh my gosh! I I love the writing, but this is so horrible. Um, 
but this is kind of close in the in the hardness, you know, as Misa was saying, the self-loathing in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But what that made me think, if you don't mind me kind of circling around for a second back Please to do. that, is he's got this self-knowledge. That's what makes him self-loathing. He's very honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He won't hide anything and he won't let anyone else hide anything. And that's what makes him so hard. But it also goes back to if you're not like that, you can't really honestly do the job. And he's got to be like that to do the job. So he's going to put himself out there for it. And that goes back to Chandler's famous long essay, I guess you'd call it The Simple Art of Murder. Mm-hmm. Where especially at the end, you know, at the beginning part, he's just bashing everybody like, oh, Agatha Christie. Um, and here's how you write a murder story. Not like that. But the end of it, of course, is that seminal you know, here's what this kind of hero takes to walk these mean streets. And it takes somebody like that who's willing to be flawed, but willing to be honest, because everybody needs someone like that. If you don't have a society where you can have someone like that, we're all in big trouble. I, I want to point out that there is one other guy. You know, we always think of the two, Dashiell Hammett and uh, um, Marlowe. Oh, not Mar- Marlowe. Uh, Sam Spade. Uh, Chandler. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we think of Philip Marlowe as Sam Spade, right? Uh, those two guys, and then that's sort of the icons. Um, the other guy that's really hard back then is um, Mickey Spillane. People people don't like Mickey Spillane. It's so like, hard I can't read him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's good reason for it. I mean, he doesn't really get going until after World War II. Yeah, he's kind of brutal. He is brutal, yeah. I mean, they make fun of how brutal he is, yeah. right? In, yeah. in science fiction stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it, there's there is a brutality um, that is not. I mean, this is very soft. Uh, the the worst we get is you know his brains were on his face, and that, that happens. <laughs> that happens <laughs> twice, right? Um, yeah. And people get got shot and sapped on the head, and there's a few you know trapped in a hospital. Yeah, and shot up with with dope, right? All all of these. There was a kind of weird scene at the end, right, where she's saying, you're so great. (laughs) You're so great. And you get hit on the head and you don't ask for money and you get shot up with dope and you just keep going. How do you do it? And he says, tell me some more. (laughs) It's um, it is it's it's pretty terrific in every scene, but it's it's definitely um. It's not his best work just because it is so slapped together. I, I think he's wrong that you can't just do it all through style. Because mm-hmm. when when he made the long goodbye, right, he he's using the same material, right, using the same drawing from his own life and putting it in there, and you can see it. Like I didn't see that in the long goodbye because it's the first time I'm reading him. I didn't know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, and it's I, all simpler in all those other books, although there are all these side paths that he goes down to investigate the general plot line. When you think back on the book again, I haven't read the high window, but the others I've read, they're all a very simple story arc. I'm investigating this one thing and my side investigations come very clearly back each time to that one thing. And this book he hadn't learned that yet maybe since it was such an early book or he was trying to do something else that just didn't work for me anyway, because you could see where everything was kind of mashed together. He wasn't keeping it simple enough Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. 
But I, I, I think, yeah, despite the fact that it, it is so mashed together, there is, there's so much good going on. In it. And the thing is, is what you just said, Julie, I think is actually kind of wrong because this does that too. All of the things string together, right? Not can, for me. I, I, I totally keep getting understand. lost. I was lost too, but they do string together. Like the, the thread that starts at the beginning goes all the way to the thread that starts at the end. You don't see it. Right, because he's bad at putting it together for us. Well, but that's my point. The point is, in the other books, you see the string the whole way oh, through. I know. Yeah, exactly. He's got and so that's what I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that string is here, but he'd go off on these side trips, and I'd forget what we were doing in the right. first place because the other things had too much personality, maybe or something. No, it's just <laughs> they're just like too dis. It's it's like disjointed. Like yeah, uh, this is that's that's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually my criticism of like, not that I've read all of Harry Potter, but I read the first (laughs) one, right? This is my criticism of most modern uh, sort of writing that derives from from movies, right? So what you do is you is you have three or four set pieces. I think this might even be in Chandler's um, essay. Um, You have three or four set pieces that you want to get to. Right, and then you string the plot together to make that. That's this is how most action movies are made, right? Yeah. Need to have mm-hmm. a uh, oh, it's a James Bond movie. That means there needs to be an opening chase scene, right? And mm-hmm. then hopefully that'll connect up to something that happens later <laughs> in the plot. For Whether lucky. it does or doesn't is maybe less important than the fact that we have to have that opening thing. And then of course there has to be some action scene near the end. There has to be the cue scene, right? All of these things need to be there. All the elements. And that formula, which is what he talks about, you know, in writing for pulp magazines, mm-hmm. which is where Philip K. Dick got his training too, right? And and then bring that together into a novel, which is outside of the uh, pulp magazine style and needs. Um, it flows in a way that I'm not sure exactly what I'm saying here, but there, there's a, that we there's expect. Yes, and and because of that, that need to have it flow properly. Uh, like if you look at the way Lord of the Rings. Are you complaining about that in Harry Potter? Yes. Okay. And because I don't agree with you, but go ahead. It, what a like, shock! Right. I've only read the first book. I, okay, I so really you cannot say but that. But I was forced to see. No. I was forced to see a couple of the movies. The movies are not that great. But. The movies are put together in, from the book. They have the scenes. Yeah, and yeah. guess what? The, the the reason they work so well as films, not that I think they work well, but the reason <laughs> they work so well as films for most people is because they have this scene, right? And uh, you, we all know these scenes. Like, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you know, there's this scene and all these scenes to, that are in there. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the action figure uh, merchandising method of putting something together here it's not like that exactly but there's a bunch of those scenes together and they don't fit right so the the scene in the uh on the boat that could be the culmination of a plot sure um the scene at the beginning um i think it works pretty well right i thought Um, it was genius yeah i really liked it with the you know the guy grabbing him by the shoulder and he's sort of following and not following him yeah Um, dragged it he's literally dragged into the plot right yeah yeah and then, uh, you know, the I think the scene where, you know, he gets hired by this guy and we don't know that it's connected somehow, how it's connected, that's all, you know, perfectly mm-hmm. legitimate, right? But then we have the dope scene, which I'm like, what is this doing here? <laughs> right? Well, he managed to find a way to make it fit. 
but it it's a hard fit, right? This is a puzzle piece mm-hmm. that was had pieces snipped off and mm-hmm. shoved into place. Yeah. And, and and when you see the different adaptations, and we did watch, uh, I think, uh, Misa, which two did you watch? I watched the Falcon and the uh, 1942 one. Uh, the of uh, the 44 was a okay. The the first, not the 44, the the other one. Not, well, not, not, 75? 75, yes, Robert Mitchum. I'm the sorry. The Robert Mitchum. Robert oh. Mitchum and okay. the Falcon. So which one is the most faithful of those two? Between those two? Yeah. The See, they both deviated a lot. They both did, right? They both did a lot. Yeah, I, 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 that, the, I know that you really liked the Robert Mitchum one. No, and... I didn't. I turned out it, I didn't like it. Oh, I thought you did because I was I, like, I oh. thought I did too. Oh. <laughs> I haven't watched it since since I watched it years ago. But I'm oh. like, wow, this is not the mood. This is not the book at all. Yeah, and I, I didn't I didn't like the like it was a, it was a style thing. Like it was it was just too it was too dark and not noir enough. It was just like. Ah, yeah, it didn't, didn't it, work to maybe, me. Maybe he was too old, or I don't know. There was, there was definitely script problems. Yeah, but, so uh, between the two, I like the other one better, but I'm but I don't think either one was particularly no, faithful. The Falcon was not faithful either. Well, but, well no, the, it wasn't. Well, the problem with the Falcon is they, they took a character from a different series right. and, gave, <laughs> and, and gave him Chandler's plot. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, this is like the this is like the second or third Falcon movie. I mean, this was an already established character who had a re- established backstory. It's like, oh, we'll give him the plot of uh, Farewell, My Lovely. So it's it, it, it follows it fairly faithfully. It does, but it does. Uh, you just have a that is not connected to uh, <laughs> to, to the Falcon in any other way. So that this the one we're talking about, Julie, is called The Falcon Takes Over. It's a 1942 okay. movie that's only 65 minutes long. Murder My Sweet. Uh, Paul, did you watch that one? I watched that one. Okay. And Murder My Sweet. Who's in that? Little, that stars, uh, let's see, Dick Powell. Oh, <laughs> oh. Trevor. He it. doesn't seem yeah. right for, I can't. No, he's not a great about? Philip Marlowe. He's okay. not terrible. Yeah, no, he seems too great. debonair and suave and, and all the whole that. weird, oh, let's blind him at the beginning and blind him at the end. That was really oh. odd. Like, what the heck? Why do you need that for? It <laughs> seems like it's uh, like, you know. We got, it, it reminded me actually of Double Indemnity, where he starts oh. off. You know, they've got that framing where he starts off and he's, dic- he's talking to the dictaphone, right? You knew murder smelled like honeysuckle, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, but because it's just, you know, they they don't want to exactly rip that off. They do, uh, or maybe they want to keep Philip Marlowe around or whatever. But okay, anyways, the important. Uh, by the way, that's the difference between a, a hard boiled and a noir, right? Is the hard-boiled yeah. character gets to continue, right? With double <laughs> yeah, indemnity, they kill him off. Oh yeah, well, right? but but yeah. in such a way that it tears your heart out. That's right. Uh, Edward Robinson. Oh, yeah, golly. There's never. I'm trying to think of now. Sidetrack. Think if there's ever been a sequel to a noir movie, and I don't think so. Noirs, by definition, have to end badly for all concerned at the end. Oh yeah. So if if you want to read it a certain way. Um, the way uh, Mrs. Grail <laughs> yeah. Alma dies is kind of uh, it's noir for her, right? If if you're reading this novel from her perspective, uh, yes. she's doomed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she's her own femme fatale, right? She, she shoots herself twice in the heart, which is apparently <laughs> impossible. 
She pulled it off. She's got strength of will, people. And you know, the the, the detectives are saying like she would have, she probably would have got off, right? Because we yep. kept it going for years. She's rich. I, uh, that's one Sympathetic, of the things. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the book is how honest it was about how corrupt everything was. Mm-hmm. Like, in mm. fact, w- one of the weirdnesses that happens in the book is that he's talking about places that don't exist, like Bay City. That's really Santa Monica. Right. But I was confused. I, th- I thought, like, did he just go up to, like, San Francisco? <laughs> <laughs> um, this doesn't remind me of San Francisco. And how did he get there so fast? Um, uh, so uh, apparently there was a huge corruption scandal in Santa Monica's police department. Um, that, Not just police department, just the whole city was corrupt from top to bottom. Right, but as you know, especially with the the cops taking graft, and there's a great scene um, with the cop talking about about you know how much we're making money, how you know how much money we make. You want to see my house, pal? You know, oh, we'll yeah. drive over there yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but then what's the guy a guy named Wax? Who's the commissioner? Right. Right. And he's got like um, five hundred dollars on his on his person without even looking in his wallet or something like that. Is is the how the line goes? I think um, the fact that he's completely corrupt and who's he corrupt to? He's corrupt to money, right? Uh, so when he goes in there and says, you know, get out of here, pal, and he says, wait, you don't know who's backing me. Who's backing you? He get he drops the Grail name, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then everything goes sweet. He brings out yeah. the, the best liquor, right. and they they look at each other, look it over, and it, the, that cop's about to get fired over, uh, you know, he got on the wrong side of of money, and the way they treat the the blacks in the story, oh, yeah. like right, what, what, uh, the murder of the black uh, owner of the yeah, it's a misdemeanor. <laughs> yeah, they said yeah. it was misdemeanor, and they said, "Yeah, it's it, uh, you have it on your call sheet right below the hot cars, right?" Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is like this is not a uh, um, you know sort of friendly version of Dixon Hill Land, where you know the cops can be uh, you know androids or black or whatever. <laughs> um, it's 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 not it's the corrupt horribleness. Yeah. And there's a scene where he somebody says to him, um, "You're not clean, not even one little bit of you, right?" Mm-hmm. The idea that we're all dirty, you're just as dirty as us. Mm-hmm. And it, he's dirtier here than he is in Long Long Goodbye, but he's still got a bit of shininess here and there. If if you look hard enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a just society at all, and he no. doesn't necessarily approve of it. But this is how it is. So here's how you go. And um, that's why it was so important to Anne Riordan, if that's how you say her last name, that mm-hmm. she's like, I'm living in this nice house, but my dad was not on the take. My dad, the police chief that's right, in his right. time, was not on the take. And she keeps pointing that out over and over. Uh, <laughs> You're just like, well, then how do you have these nice crystal glasses no, and this really nice place? Uh-huh. It's pretty hard to get uh, that uh, corrupt without, you know doing something corrupt <laughs> well and that yeah and that's why she's uh, well he's not the police chief anymore he's dead you know right. so we don't know and that's why she's got this motivation i think that she's 
a journalist, right? So she's honest. She's trying to find the bottom of the story. One of the cops says uh, about her, I, I gave her the, the dope because uh, her dad was a, uh, a cop. <laughs> Not because he was he was wealthy. <laughs> he right. doesn't say that he's be, yeah. because it was wealthy, but there is uh, the the puppets dancing on a string in this story are either pu- dancing for uh, love, like Moose, or mm-hmm. for money, or or like some combination. Like um, how's Velma put it? Right? She says maybe is it in? I can't remember which version it's in, but she says. Uh, when she's Mrs. Grail, um, money brings its own problems. You yeah, forget, she yeah, you forget the other problems that you have. So when she runs off, yeah, that's in the book. Okay, she runs off to be a, what she used to be, right? A torch singer on the radio. Um, yep, I got. Yep, I got. I got the quote because okay. because uh, cause we haven't quoted enough from this. No, we need book, quotes. And we, we, we need quotes. <laughs> okay, money must help. You think it's going to when you haven't always had money. As a matter of fact, it just makes new problems. She smiled curiously. And you forget how hard the old problems were. Yeah. 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 There is great dialogue and lines in this. I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I hated this book or hated hated spending time with it. It just frustrated me that it wasn't as coherent. But there's just lovely bits of dialogue and description oh, yeah. and, and language like like we were quoting on Twitter. Yeah. I needed a drink. I needed a lot of life insurance. I needed a vacation. I needed a home in the country. What I had was a coat, a hat, and a gun. Yeah. Yeah. I put them on and went out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a scene. Uh, I, I I don't know if you can find the quote, but it's is really good. Where he he's he, he's talking about how he can't get out of bed. Um. He he manages to sort of sit up. Says- he says, you're a tough guy, six feet, Iron Man, 190 pounds strapped with your face, stripped with your face washed, hard muscles, no glass jaw. You can take it. You've been sat with a gun barrel. You've been shot off, uh, shot full of hop and kept under it until you're crazy as two waltzing mice. And and what does it all amount to? Routine. Now, let's yeah. see if you do something really tough, like putting your pants on. There you go. That's the one. There you go. And then there's a, a, a similar scene where he's, again, not, you know, he's he says he's been sapped. He's punched in the jaw with his own gun, right? All of these scenes are basically a guy drinking too much, having yeah. hangover so bad that, you know, he, he wakes up. And uh, what I what I really dig about looking at the um, at the adaptations is, is seeing those scenes over again. It's like I'm looking at the same story a different way. Mm-hmm. So... Thinking about like that that first lady he goes to look for Velma at right the the lady with a what how's her face described um, <laughs> like a sack of mud or something yeah like yeah that. Oh, yeah um, uh, she she uh, used to be a, da- a dance oh no she was the owner's wife right of that owner's club. wife and mm-hmm. her place is strewn with empty bottles right everywhere she's drunk all the time. Um, she's pretending to be drunk when uh, he gives her the good bottle, right? Um, and then she, or maybe I'm thinking of the, yeah, it's the movie. One of the movie versions has her pretending to be drunk. That scene, uh, watching all three movies and then in the book, I'm totally getting confused. But the important <laughs> part is between the ones I watched too. There's her, right, who's a complete souse who doesn't leave the house and just listens to the radio all day, gets her check uh, in the mail every. Uh, first of the month 
uh, mm-hmm. to keep her quiet or whatever. And then there's the lady across the street who we yeah, hate this even is more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And right. yet she's sort of a figure of, of pathos, too, because that's all she's got is she can spy on her neighbors and make up stories about them. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she doesn't hold with liquor. And it's like, damn, are those my two choices? Yeah. <laughs> I have to either be uh, soused all the time like everybody else in the town. Or I'll be like her, a busybody and sad and. Well, this is the in also what these stories often dwell on is urban isolation, right? Mm-hmm. And here we are. This is what you're left with. No, no one can get together in the middle of the street. We'll all just be shut away with our own problems. The other, the other thing that's other. sort of missing is any children, right? There's obviously um, people who have been born and. People grew people up. People died. And there were children of other people's children, but they're not like literally youth. Right? Not there's in no, his world. There's no children yeah. in this world. That's right. In the movie versions, they you know they throw a kid in here or there for to make Marlowe yeah. seem more human or something. But that, so many things about that movie bug me. Yeah, I, I I totally see it now. Yeah, I didn't see it then, but that's because I hadn't I, I hadn't read the book at the time I first watched it. Mm, yeah, and then talking about it. And and some of the dialogue that I helped since we were talking about that or that I really liked in this was when he was making observations about things. He could just change so something. Good. So like at the end where he's been talking to Velma slash Mrs. Grail about the whole thing and how it worked. And she's been honest with him. And he says, she leaned forward a little, and her smile became just a little glassy. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, without any real change in her, she ceased to be beautiful. She looked merely like a woman who would have been dangerous a hundred years ago, and twenty years ago daring, but who today was just grade B Hollywood. Yeah. And he's accurately, now the glamour's gone, he's Mm -hmm. accurately categorized her. And that kind of also... um, explains a li- goes a little way towards showing her own self-loathing where she's deliberately trying to get caught because she doesn't want to live mm-hmm. with herself. Mm-hmm. I don't so know she's, she's on the radio. Well, no, she says, I can't believe it took him so long to recognize my voice. I guess yeah. no one's around who knew it anymore. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then at another spot, he's talking to Anne Riordan, who's kind of defending, oh, no, it's a nice little town, you know? And he says, okay, it's a nice town. So is Chicago. You could live there a long time and not see a Tommy gun. Sure, it's a nice town. It's probably no crookeder than Los Angeles. But you can only buy a piece of a big city. You can buy a town this size all complete with the original box and tissue paper. That's the difference. <laughs> and that makes me want out. Mm. Mm. Did, did anybody else think, like, I, I was reading along and then suddenly I came to the line when he's on the boat with Red. And and I thought maybe some of all of his problems is because he, okay, I don't know if anybody's going to agree with this, but there's some sort of latent homosexuality happening in here. Oh, totally. A lot of He's, descriptions he, of men. As this, the, yeah, there's, desi- this, or let's there's, there's a line here. Yeah. Where is it? He's, he's just on the boat with Red, and after getting on the ship, he wants to pay him back. And then Red says, put, put your dough away, Red said. You paid me for the trip back. I think you're scared. He took hold of my hand. He was strong, hard, warm, and slightly sticky. Oh. I, know you're, I know you're scared, he whispered. I'll get over it, I said, one way or the other. You know, like there's, and, and there was another line where he said that the wet air was cold as the ashes of love. 
know? <laughs> wow, yeah, I didn't catch well, that, but I think you're right. It, there's a oh, there's a lot of um, <laughs> scenes where he he's deferring uh, and, hanging out with women. With women, yeah. When when yeah. Anne like says, "Stay here, sleep here, sleep here," he says he just he purposely upsets her so much she has to leave the house. It's it's ambiguous as to you know what it means, but there are there are numbers, uh, and it's in the movies as well. Like um, the cops talking to him, sort of browbeating him, and and he says, "If you're gonna you know blah 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 blah, then give me flowers first or something." <laughs> like like yeah. the relationships are kind of like well that's that's weird, and I think it's probably just a a pre uh, out homosexual time sort of thing that people are. It's so far from their uh, for from their conversation that it's okay to talk about it's just referred to well and that makes me think i don't know if on here you guys have read the maltese falcon no but it's you want to talk about there's no messing around in that book he is saying it not about the hero but there's the character um if you've seen the movie um oh gosh it's it's one of everybody's favorite guys to be a bad guy and i can't remember his name but um it's it's implied in the movie because of course that was going out to mainstream America mm. and the studio was going to be a little more careful, but in the book, there's no messing around. Mm. And if we, you haven't read that, we maybe should read it and talk about it that because that's good. Sam Spade. And it's one of the more accessible books. It, it has its own problems yep. as we would discover, but it's an entertaining read and it's got different insights about the same kinds of people and situations, you know, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, that sounds oh, good. I could be wrong. Um, are, are you are you talking about Peter Laurie's Joel Cairo? Peter Laurie, that's yeah, it. Peter yes, okay. on, on another podcast I was on, I used to do Peter Laurie impressions. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it, it was a thing. I did I did a lot on on Skipping Fanti for a while. So, um, I want to read this section. Peter this Lord is from Chapter it. Two. Um, and it's just what I like about it is it's it's got all the dis- description and the pathos and sort of the abruptness. So listen mm-hmm. to this. This is right from the beginning of chapter two. It was a long narrow room, not very clean, not very bright, not very cheerful. Right. I love that he outlines everything in what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. This is classic Chandler, right? And he's the master of similes too, right? Yeah, he is. Oh my God, they're so good. Um, in the corner, a group of Negroes chanted and chattered in the cone of light over a crap table. Not a craps table, a crap table. <laughs> there oh, was yeah. a bar against the right-hand wall. The rest of the room was mostly small round tables. There were a few customers, men and women, all Negroes. The chatting at the crap table stopped dead, and the light over it jerked out. There was a sudden silence as heavy as a waterlogged boat. The eyes looked at us, chestnut-colored eyes, set in faces that ranged from gray to deep black. Heads turned slowly, and the eyes in them glistened and stared in the dead silence of another race. A large, thick-necked Negro with, uh, leaning, uh, was leaning against the end of the bar with pink garters on his sh- shirt sleeves and pink and white suspenders crossing his broad back. He had bouncer written all over him. He, <laughs> he put his lifted foot down slowly and turned slowly and stared at us, spreading his feet gently and moving a broad tongue along his lips. He had a battered face that looked as if he had been hit by everything but a bucket of a drag line. (laughs) It was scarred, flattened, thick and checkered and welted. 
It was the face that had nothing to fear. Everything had been done to it that anybody could think of. The short, crinkled hair had a touch of gray. One ear had lost the lobe. This So much like description of just this guy who's about to get his ass handed to him, right? Mm-hmm. For no reason. The Negro was heavy and wide. He had big, heavy legs, and they looked a little bowed, which was unusual in a Negro. He moved his tongue some more and smiled and moved his body. He, it's like, what does this mean? He moved his tongue some more and smiled and moved his body. Is he I talking? I like that meant he was a boxer. I guess, but yeah. I think it's like we're supposed to infer, like, there's so much where we're – this is actually why Chandler's a good writer and why people love reading him is because we need to do work. Mm-hmm. He's not telling us what what's going on. We need to infer what what his descriptions of not descriptions are and what they mean. He came towards us in a loose fighter's crouch. The big man waited for him. This is uh, Moose, right? Silently. The Negro was up was, – oh, Sorry. Uh, the Negro with the pink garters on his arms and a big, massive brown hand against the big man. Put a big, massive brown hand against the big man's chest. Large as it was, the hand looked like a stud. <laughs> the big man didn't move. The bouncer smiled gently. No fight, no white folks, brother Jess. For the colored people, I'm sorry. Um, not sure what that means exactly. No white folks, brother. You're not allowed here, right? <laughs> Jess, oh, oh, yeah, Jess foe. The colored people. I sorry. Right. So he's apologizing. Yeah. You gotta leave. The big man moved his small, sad gray eyes and looked around the room. His cheeks flushed a little. Shine box, he said angrily under his breath. He raised his voice. Where's Velma at? So shine box is not like I need a shine box or he's he's not saying where's your shine box. He's calling him shine box. Insult. Yeah. Yeah, It's an insult. Right. Well, because shine was an old word that people would use right but it was an insulting word yeah by the, the idea shine? is that you're low you gotta shine huh? shoes you're black right yeah if you're um, shine you're black yeah. so he comes into the place and then says that i i have a theory about moose i want to tell you mm-hmm. um the bouncer didn't quite laugh he studied the big man's clothes his brown shirt and yellow tie his gray rough gray coat and the white golf balls on it so the golf balls are actually just the buttons yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. He moved his thick head around delicately and studied all this from various angles. He looked down at the alligator shoes. He chuckled, chuckled lightly. He seemed amused. I felt a little sorry for him. He spoke softly again. Velma, you says? No Velma here, brother. No hooch, no gals, no nothing. Just the scram, white boy. Just the scram. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, right? So, see, and that's why I was thinking bar. It was not a uh, that alcohol was. There's so prohibition. It's like no hooch. Is like no hooch oh, for you. No, because oh. he's white. That's oh, right. okay, no hooch for. Oh, I was thinking it's no not allowed in there. Yeah, there. I understand why you would oh. think that because it used to be a bar and now it's whatever. It, it's crap. Yeah. Well, it used to be a dance hall right. and bar, right? Because that's why Vilma was dancing or singing or whatever. But okay. yeah, so. Yep. They it's get into this again. scrap, right? And he ends up. I, is he killed a guy in this book? Yeah. He yeah, kills right. he kills the owner in the bathroom. Yeah, in one and, of the, maybe the, the seventy-five. He he just throws people around. He doesn't kill anybody. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> there's different versions of this, but the important part is is uh, Moose doesn't care about any of these people. He's only looking for what he wants. Yeah. I want right? Vilma, and that's it. That's how he treats everybody, right? It's sort of a he grabs Marlowe, throws him around. Um, kills a guy here, and it's not like personal. 
It's just like only thing I'm looking for is Velma. He, he yeah, just Velma. Florian, he kills Can you her later. Get out of my way. Yeah, yeah. And so the insults here are not, you know, because he's he's wants to go in and make trouble. It's because he's focused on on uh, on love to the exclusion of all else. But I don't know if this is in the book or in the movies or whatever. But there <laughs> you seems gotta to be stop s- watching so many movies. That's, oh, if they don't make so many adaptations, I don't have a <laughs> problem. But here's the thing, right? Is I think Moose. It, it, he doesn't do a lot of drinking, does he, in the book? I don't think we see him drink. I don't think he drinks anything. Oh, no, he drinks at the very beginning. He gets two drinks, one for him and one for... Oh, and then he drinks both of them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, So one of the things, one of the effects of heavy drinking, other than, you know, like what Marlowe experiences, you know, blackouts. In the 1944 movie, they do it three times. They say, that black pool opened up at my feet and I dived in. Yep. (laughs) Um, where he just gets sapped over the head three times, and whatever. Um, other than blackouts, right? One of the long-term consequences of alcoholism is actually memory loss, um, serious memory, memory loss, like Korsakoff syndrome. If you remember Memento, that movie. Oh yeah. That is Korsakoff syndrome, right? Oh. Where okay. you can't make new memories. Only you sort of live no in the short-term past. memory, right? Right. So he's he's wondering. I'm not sure if it's in the book now or not, but in I think the '75 movie, he he grabs Marlowe on the street, brings him up, and then says, "Who are you?" Yeah. Right. That's like. But that's not it. It's in the book too. Is it? Yeah, he yeah, says. But I I'm think the he's that, I'm the one that you brought that dragged in. You dragged in here. Right, right, right. So but that's what, almost like. What does he say after that? I mean, because I just assumed he was just like he because he dragged him in because he saw him watching him. So I felt like that wasn't like who are you? I don't know who you are. Like where did you come from? Not I did. That he didn't know he drug him in, but like, why were you watching me? Who are you? What's, you know, your connection with all this? I read it that he was just so taken up with Velma. Like, yeah. he, that's all he could have in his head at that time. Because he's simple, is he's the way I saw simple. it. Is he yeah. simple because he got hit in the head so many times? Is he simple because, because the thing is, is what I well, like. We're not told, so why? Exactly. It because it doesn't matter because he's just there to push the plot forward. Oh, uh, well. That's it. But, yes. Uh, period. Uh, well, no, I disagree because <laughs> one of the things, bad. one of the, one of the, one of the really cool things about reading Chandler is that you're, you've got these lines, right? So you know what is on the page, and you know what uh, Marlowe is thinking when he thinks it and says, you know, like I thought, blah 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 blah, right? But we have to do a lot of interpretation. So why does Velma shoot herself in the heart? Um, is it because she didn't want to go to prison? That's inferable, but I don't think that that's the reason, right? Um, is it because she wanted to get uh, caught, or is it why didn't she shoot herself in the head, right? So it, it's like he's so obsessed with her, a woman who doesn't love him, right? Who might have been using him because he was <laughs> uh, just for the money, but in the end, she she, she right? She wants to have sex with Marlowe. She wants to. You know, uh, she she was looking for love. Maybe she, she did love money. him. That's Maybe what I'm thinking. Maybe she did love right? him, and and she turned him in for the money, and then felt like shit the rest yeah. of his life. And and I don't think he was just a, a a thing to move the story along. I think he was a tragic 
a tragic hero figure. Yeah, he's a, he's also a monster. He's a monster he's, too. He's but... like Frankenstein who found love and then yeah, or Frankenstein's creature, yeah. I should say, right? He found love and then he he's, escapes from the wilderness or whatever and comes back and you know. Well, I guess what I yeah, I guess what I meant was it doesn't matter why he's simple. Um, we don't need to know that. I, I guess that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, because it's not is, really his story. I mean, we see parts yeah, of the story, story, but it's not really his story. It's Chandler's. It's uh, Marlowe's story. The mm. other the other interesting thing, I I didn't send this to you guys because I didn't finish reading it, but I, I read a – somebody was writing a review of this book, you know, one for the Atlantic or something like that. Maybe it was the L.A. Times. And talking about how this is – a this is, uh, as, as I guess um, uh, Chandler himself said, you know – who needs Agatha Christie, right? When you got right. me or whatever it is, um, because <laughs> uh, Agatha Christie is who done it. That's her thing, right? Here we yeah. know exactly who done it. It, it was Moose. Right? <laughs> Moose is the guy who did the murder. Um, so uh, the question then becomes, why done it, right? Mm. What, mm-hmm. what, what was what's the what's the and then thinking about like who sapped uh, Chandler on the back, uh, Chandler. Who is Sal- Sal- on the back of the head, um, up on on the uh, uh, the trail or whatever, and while he's making these amazing descriptions of what the night's like, right? Oh mm. my God, so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the what's so amazing is when they do the adaptations, nobody has the right answer, right? Mm. So sometimes it's for love, right? Um, she. So uh, in, uh, in one of the versions, the girl reporter shows up, and I think, oh, she she sapped him on the head. <laughs> 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 oh no, and okay, it's not her. Uh, wh- what about these gangsters? Maybe uh, the gangsters sapped him on the head. Why did they kill the other guy? Uh, so like the why is actually the reason that he's doing the investigation, right? It's mm-hmm. not for the money. So it's like. Just it goes right back to that initial scene with seeing this guy on the street and thinking, wow, that's a character. What's his problem? Right. And sort of that's what we're doing when we read this book, too, because we're like, why? Yeah. Yep. And I think the answer is alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a factor. Well, there's the answer. I don't know, but it's always a factor. It makes me think of you're talking about that, and I thought, oh my gosh, yes, now you're making me want to reread The Big Sleep because mm. that book's all about why. And mm. uh, it's interesting because uh, there are little, you know, deductions that he can make, right? You know, how did the guy get my name? And, you know, uh, and I guess we could follow the plot along like Sherlock Holmes, but that's not, doesn't seem to be the point of it, right? Mm. Not at all. It's more like, um, let's go see this part of Los Angeles and hear the description of it. Climb um, <laughs> a thousand steps. Yeah, right. Which made me think more San Francisco than Santa Monica. Yeah, again with the Bay City. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell's going? Yeah. Where are we? Is yeah, this look, a real California? It, I, it was I, very dreamlike. Yeah, I've never been to Santa Monica, so I don't know if there are yeah. big long steps like in San Francisco no, that way. It's not. It's not high. That's where the pier is, you know. But, you know, you can also have those places because L.A. has a whole set of secret stairways. 
And I know that's not sure. Santa Monica. There's some you, hills nearby Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, and you wouldn't expect that, but there are all these places where before you could really get a car into any streets or anything, they'd have little stairways that were just for neighborhoods. And now, of course, people are finding them and doing little books on them and, you know, not letting other people in them because this is to our neighborhood. But I wouldn't have thought that of L.A., which, you know, is up that's, against some foothills, but largely flat, but they're all over the place. That's reminding me of the opening of Mulholland Drive, the movie, mm-hmm. where after the car accident, she goes down the slope and into, uh, and down to Sunset Boulevard and right into the plot. As such as there is a plot in that movie, it's a strange, <laughs> they talk about strange dreams, Jesse, that movie mm-hmm. will be strange dreams. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. But so, yeah, so maybe Santa Monica, he's just, if if it's really based on that, he's just kind of pulling that. Or, you know, he's an author. He could just put that stuff in because he wants to. Because it's Bay City, not Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you exactly. You the mirror on the wall in uh, in Marlowe's office? I wanted to read this to you. <laughs> yes. That's uh, this is the mirror on the wall. Yeah. I had a Rembrandt on the calendar that year. Right. A rather smeary self-portrait due to imperfectly registered color plate. It moved him. It showed him holding a smeared palette with a dirty thumb and wearing a tam o' shanter, which wasn't any too clean either. His other hand held a brush poised in the air, as if he might be going to do a little work after a while. That—that's a very uh, um, that line. That sort of this sort of writing right here. This is so Lawrence Block. This is where he took it from, right? His yeah. style. Mm. If somebody made a down payment, pay <laughs> <laughs> me and I'll make some. Make his some face art. was aging, saggy, full of the disgust of life and the thickening effects of liquor, but it had a hard cheerfulness that I liked, and the eyes were as bright as drops of dew. I was looking at a, at him across my office desk at about four thirty when the phone rang, and I heard a cool, supercilious voice that sounded as if it thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Self-satisfaction, yes. Oh my God! I said drawlingly after I had answered it, "You are Philip Marlowe, a private detective." Oh, it said drawlingly after I had it. Okay. Um. So uh, later on, when he comes back to his office, um, he has another sort of exchange with Rembrandt, and um, I think it's it's these little touches that make this book 100% worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, it, maybe the mashing of the plot doesn't work that great, but oh my god, such good writing. Yep. Yeah. Hung up and, and it is. I thought Mr. Rembrandt had a faint, faint sneer on his face. I got the office bottle out of the deep drawer of the desk and took a short drink. That took the sneer out of Mr. Rembrandt in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's in the 44 movie. Um, this is... A, I mean, you can see why he's so popular as, as a um, uh, to be adapted to film, right? Uh-huh. And film noir because of these lines, he can narrate his own story, right? Yeah. Um, there's a scene where he's looking out his own window. Uh, it has that great black and white uh, in one of the versions, um, you know, where the ref- the light's coming through and the name Philip Marlowe is on the uh, client on the client's clothes uh, through the you know the window stenciling or whatever and uh he's looking out the window at the night right and car goes by and you see a reflection his reflection in the window and then you see uh mooses (laughs) above right 
And then he like looks out the window and then the car goes by again in the flash and Moose is still standing there. And he turns around, there's Moose, right? People just come right in and that reflection, you looking out at the world, you you see yourself and then you see someone else's. And he doesn't react the first time. It's just like it's in his mind. Mm -hmm. And that is so good. Philip K. Dick sort of uh, style of this is where the real writers, right? The ones who that this is what they were born to do. This is what they're really good at. Um, you can just feel it. Yeah. They, they know what they're doing and it's, it's a part of them, you know, reaching their highest form or whatever, as opposed to the people who are like, okay, I got a bill to pay a formula and I'm going to copy my favorite style. This is, this is really good stuff, even though it has that clunkiness and, and, you know, I compare him comparing him to Philip Kiddick because it's set in California. It's about your own life and it's applied to a genre, right? Other than that, they're completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they are themselves. And yeah. that's part of the point too. Yeah, um, totally. Uh-huh. They are themselves. Yeah, and I, I would say it's probably worth to me, you know, to people who aren't huge fans, there's, since there's two schools of it, it's worth reading once. I mean, because it it does have some oh, amazing yeah. scenes. Like we didn't mention, one of my favorites is the Hotel Sans Souci, mm-hmm. which means carefree. And the guy, the old Negro, as they, he would say in the book, is sleeping behind the counter. Oh, yeah, so he's carefree. Yeah. And the great thing about that whole scene, other than, you know, he sets the scene and it's wonderful dialogue between the two and everything, is oh. that... He is, Marlowe is smart enough to go, if I ask around here, people may know about what happened to anybody who knew about Velma. Mm-hmm. And the the desk guy says, oh, yeah, there was a widow, Jesse Florian. And he's like, well, how can I find her? Well, try the phone book. So he's looking in the phone book. It doesn't have it. And he goes, city directory, buddy, here. So this guy is the one who's like, do your job. <laughs> Did you notice in that scene though, like that guy was sort of sleepy a little bit when mm-hmm. before, and, and then he goes back to sleep. It's like the character was just waiting to wake up to come alive, be a character, and then he put him back to sleep, like a little. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that 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 kind of almost reminds me of Dark City again. Mm. You've seen it? Mm-hmm. No, no. Um, Dark City. Dark City is a science fiction movie where. A bunch of people. I'm spoiling the movie, but you should see it anyway. My children well, have told me I wouldn't like it. So no, yeah, I, I didn't like. I didn't like it either. I trust but them. I understand why people do. Uh, uh, well, I'm a big fan of the movie, but basically, yeah. Every night the city gets reset by the aliens, and everyone's asleep, and then they wake up at the aliens' command to live out their the aliens' plans and. Study so yeah. yeah so yeah so so literally yeah they're sleeping then oh, it's midnight time for everybody to wake up and do that do, sounds cool mm-hmm. you should watch I, okay I'm I'm a big fan of the movie I know Julie doesn't like it and okay. Jess no no no, no. Like it's it. not that I don't like it I wanted to watch it. it and they're like it's they love it but they're like we already know you would not like it and no, I went she, oh okay she, yeah I I don't like so. it either <laughs> but well, I, okay. I, I it's called Dark City. Dark City. Dark yeah. Keeper Sutherland is that who's the yeah Keeper Sutherland Rufus Sewell Jennifer Connelly oh my gosh yeah they had to tell me that because of Rufus uh, what's his face who I love hmm. yeah he, he's the protagonist it's a true love yeah and they're like it's too bad because he's a good guy for once yeah I know no <laughs> you would hate it I'm like I, I oh. know that. 
Yeah, I know. With all the bad guys, I he trust plays, him. He actually, is a protagonist. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I continue. Out, I want, since we're on a movie, I want to point out that um, there's there's a movie that is a film noir as well that isn't also science fiction. Um, that I think I've actually talked about it on the podcast. See, uh, no, not Double Star. I'm trying to find which show I talked about it on, but um, it's the 13th Floor, the 1999 movie. Um, That's also science. Yeah, yeah, it's a science fiction uh, noir movie, kind of. Yeah, uh, where up on the 13th floor of the building, they are doing virtual no virtual worlds, programming worlds. Yeah, so basically they're making the Matrix, right? Okay. And one of the characters, uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl, the actor, um, he's the guy funding it. He he goes into this world. You know, you put on the headphones or whatever, and you lie down, and and you become a character in this world. Yep. And um, he, there's a murder in there, and you know they have to go in and solve the murder. But when you drive out of Los Angeles, right? The the textures are desert until you reach a certain point in the horizon. Then they sort of start doing those green and black screen, you know, the black screen with the green lines, like mm, mm-hmm. it starts glitching. Yeah. Monochrome. Oh yeah. Monitors. Right. And, and it's like, wow, that's, it's so cool. Um, and that's, it, it is totally from a Chandler esque novel. Right? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's, 1937 Los Angeles that the virtual reality is it has that sepia tone it's mm-hmm. got up the the, the 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 scenes in the lighting are definitely very channelist noir and definitely they're channel they're channeling that and even in the even in the quote unquote modern day there's lots of scene I mean look at they they look they light stuff going on in the building the interactions between him and the girl it, it they're de- they're definitely chan- channeling that uh that a noir Chandler hard-boiled sort of mysteries, but, but because it's science fiction, it has you know you know the world is the world is shit. Of course, <laughs> it has the this hard-boiled you know the world is shit, and all you can do is polish it up a bit or whatever. And then after Blade think, oh, Runner, well, 1999 is not that great either. And everybody yeah. who has an everybody who's in Los Angeles 37 is also in 99, right? Um, but right. then the twist is. Oh, guess what? 1990s isn't isn't real either. Yeah, uh, that living in 2020 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, we spoiled that movie, it, but not now. But the, uh, but we the spoiled point is, it. is, like everything that's wrong with our world right now, uh, and we escape into the past, right? Uh, the, that's yeah. Wherever that's you go, so there you good, are. Right? Yeah. So. Well, and that's the thing when you were talking about, yeah, you could tell it's old because it's sepia tone. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't they all be surprised if they could really go back to the past and go, oh, everything's just as bright as it was then. Yeah, I mean, now, because uh, it's not different. You know, it is the same, except maybe no air conditioning or. No, they have uh, air conditioning. Well, I'm just saying. Had human then, air conditioners. Way back, depending Thanks. on how far back you go. It's all just the same. Well, um. Yeah, because then you've got, of course, Blade Runner, and now they're doing a second one, which I'm Did very you see, Has anybody seen the preview for that new Blade Runner? No. Oh, it's pretty cool, because guess who shows up in it? Uh, well, I'm assuming Harrison Ford. Yes, he does. Well, yeah. Well, he's not the new Blade Runner. There's a new Blade Runner. Right, but he's yeah. the old, He's like either father figure or antagonist or whatever. Uh, yeah, I have no idea, so I was intrigued. Yeah. I don't know, but we'll see how it goes. Not looking, not not high expectations on this. He, it's the same director from um, um, 
the new movie that with uh, yeah, he's good, isn't he? He's really good. Denis Villeneuve. Oh, I was going to oh, say oh, from Arrival. From Arrival. Oh my gosh, you guys! Okay, oh, okay, you may actually make make this decent. It may be actually watchable. I, I hope I'm right. I'm pretty sure. I hope. Uh, because oh, has everybody seen Arrival? Because no, oh my gosh! Oh yes, great movie. The oh, yeah. Ted, it so caught the heart of the Ted Chang story. I could not believe it for an adaptation, which necessarily had to change things because that story didn't have enough for a movie. They did such a beautiful, brilliant, gorgeous job of getting it and putting it there for us. Save it. it save it. Amazing. I'm thinking we should do a show on it. Well, maybe so, because Scott and I, uh, you know, just did. I did. One. I noticed you had a new show out on it. Yeah. Did Scott picked it, and I would have seen it eventually, but he had Rose come on, too, since she you know, had a screenwriting class, so mm-hmm. that was yeah. more expert than us, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's just... Uh, yeah, it would be fun to do a show on. It's just... It's funny how we were looking at how much money it made this morning. Mm-hmm. Going, oh, it was made for like forty-two million, and they made a hundred million. And we're like, yeah, don't spend all the money, and enough people will go see it. And it's it's just so good. Mm-hmm. I I I just checked. Blade Runner twenty forty nine is going to be directed by Dennis Villeneuve, and it comes out October sixth this year. He was so good isn't, at that. Isn't that, that when movie. the original Blade Runner set is twenty seventeen? Yes. Is it? No, I think well, it might be. No, no, that's oh, really? the running. No, the Running Man's twenty seventeen. Oh, uh, they might both be, or maybe it's twenty nineteen. No, yeah, Blade Runner's twenty nineteen. Right. Running oh. Man's twenty seventeen. Well, we're coming up on uh, the thirteenth floor, which is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> they got so much so wrong. Thank goodness, right? Yep. I don't know. I'd rather live in the future of the thirteenth floor movie. I think we're straying a bit from Farewell, My Lovely Me. <laughs> yeah. We've strayed very well, far. I was, Blade Runner was noir, at least. So. Yeah, they're all connected so, somehow. Yeah, they're it's all connected. It's all Los Angeles stuff, right? Anyway. So either I, really do or really don't read this book, by the way. Really read it. <laughs> well, you really should read, read it, it But, but uh, read, yeah, don't expect other the plot books to be for, Read some of his other stuff first so that in case you're not one of the people who loves it, that this isn't the only thing that you've read by him. Mm-hmm. Well mm-hmm. said. I can't, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just second Julie. Okay. I have something to add to this. It's, All right. Okay. He said he took his gun away from Mr. Molloy and picked me up. I'm kind of cute sometimes. I wouldn't know. You seem to pick up awful easy. I think that's me. Maybe I pick up awful easy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And that's where you feel like Chandler's just like, I'm on a roll. I got to keep going. I got to keep writing until it's done. <laughs> yeah. That is I got, great. I got, uh, there was a show a few years ago on HBO, not very popular. got canceled eventually called bored to death. Did you guys ever see that show? Bit, but not seen it. It was a funny, a funny idea for a premise. It's like, um, uh, I don't know. The, the, the some writer, decides to quit being a writer and become a private investigator and he just basically he says uh i'm gonna do what raymond chandler does or uh philip marlowe does and and so he he just like sort of stumbles into things and it's kind of like a humorous take on on chandler's philip marlowe um set in new york instead of um los angeles and the thing is is if you if you've read chandler or uh, some of them watch the movie, so you you sort of know what to, what you're gonna get, and it has all of the, like it could be taken seriously if there wasn't for the humor, right? Mm-hmm. There's too much drinking and that sort of thing, but um, 
It's it's a good it was a good little series that had Zach Galifianakis and Ted oh. Danson. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah, and Jason Schwartzman was the uh, the lead, and I, I quite like that that bit. And, and it reminds me of when I was um, young. I was like, I was thinking, well, if I win the lottery, what am I going to do with the money? Mm. Um, and I was thinking, I will open up a private detective <laughs> agency, and I will I'll, I'll put a sign up, right? <laughs> And okay. I won't. I won't probably ha- be able to do any jobs because I. I don't know. Have any resources or training or anything like that. But I will be able to have the desk and a hat. And I, I mean, <laughs> I don't like bourbon or anything. But I. I guess I could put a bottle in the drawer. <laughs> Drink root beer. It looks the same. Yeah, yeah. Put, yeah, put the, root beer in it. Right. Yeah. And you know, you get the. You. You need all the equipment, right? So yeah. I want to get one of those phones where you have to use two hands to. You know. Yeah. The Sam Spade phone. Real right? phone. Yeah. Right. And uh, it wouldn't be that expensive either. You know, you get a, like an upper level office and it's a place to go during the day. And you say, you know, whenever uh, you're in a, at a party you don't want to be at. And you say, I got a, I got a meeting in my office. I yeah. have to go. Yeah. I got a meeting. Go back there and oh, hang God. out for a few hours watching uh, YouTube videos or whatever. I was going to say, then you have the inner office with all your bookshelves and your computer and everything for when right. you're in between <laughs> cases. If I, uh, you know, really made a huge lottery when I could even hire a secretary to be out there and, you know, handle my <laughs> phone calls. And... That's right, Della. <laughs> That's right. Or you could turn away girls that want to be your secretary. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Clearly, if I won the lottery, uh, <laughs> yeah, he'd be turning away girls anyway at that the, point. The problem, the problem is, uh, I I don't play the lottery, so it's much harder to win. It's hard to win anyways, but that was my dream. Yeah, I dream about that. I mean, not like that, but I like that kind of a dream. I'm gonna think about that some, but I'll go. Oh, yeah, if I won the lottery, first I'd have to buy a ticket ever never happening so it doesn't matter right i mean that's that's really what patrick stewart does right he he's he's never uh been a detective before but he walks into his office the yes. secretary's there and there's already clients standing there waiting to be you know needed so in reading this book over and over and over again i say okay chandler was never a private detective some of the authors who like uh, i think it's ross mcdonald or yeah, I think Ross McDonald was a private detective in Los Angeles, or at least California. And or so he Pinker- did. Somebody was a Pinkerton man, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. I mean, some of these people actually, you know, know what they're talking about. So I'm Hammett. trying to translate yeah. the experiences that we see in the book. Like, hang, there's a lot of hanging out with rich people, right? <laughs> uh, talking about uh, art on the wall, a lot of drinking, a lot of passing out, a lot of driving, a lot of drinking, and driving, driving through, you know, canyons and. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to hotels and all that stuff. This is the experience of a writer, mm-hmm. right? And you know, sitting on a lady's couch and having her husband walk in on you God, while yes. you're making out with her—it's yes. like, oh my! Yeah, this is uh, probably too much from life experience, and um, yet somehow he manages to pull off the concept—at least to me—that he knows what he's talking about when it comes to being a private eye. Oh, we all believe him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It has the it has the uh, the depth and uh, look of being. Yeah, this is what a pirate line in the in the 30s would actually do. Mm-hmm. So even if I've never been a private eye in any way, it's like okay, yeah, yeah, okay, this is what happened. And sometimes random crap happens. Like you yeah. stand outside a bar and you see this guy tearing up the joint, and you get pulled in. 
that's just, just it's got to be one of the strangest openings I've ever read to a novel. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm on this. I'm on a case. I'm not being paid for. I see this guy <laughs> tearing up a wire, and I get pulled into it. Literally, mm-hmm. it's just it's like well, not a metaphor being pulled into the plot. I'm just going to get physically pulled into the plot. It's mm-hmm. it, it. I, I, I loved get, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, huh. Okay, where, where are we going with this? It's not how I was expecting this to start. I was expecting mm-hmm. to start in his office. That's honestly because I'd never read this. I'd actually seen any adaptations of this. I mean, I've seen others, but it's like, okay, I'm expecting him to be in his office. Like, no, we're just going to start on a random street. Like, okay. I uh, I want to end just by asking a question and then yelling at you if you haven't answered properly. Um, <laughs> what? Is this here, all of us? By putting your hands up, who here has uh, watched all of Veronica Mars? Me. Good. No, I have not. I've seen some of Veronica Mars. The first season is amazing. After that, it goes downhill, but still. Paul and Misa, shame on both of you. <laughs> They probably didn't have daughters of the correct age to go, we're going to all watch this stuff. I didn't, no, I I didn't either. It's, I didn't think I would like it, but oh my God, it's so good. Isn't great. it? Oh, so really? well written. So clever. Yeah, so good, yeah. And Kristen Bell is, as always, terrific. amazing. Yeah. I'm not so fond of the follow-up movie that they no. crowd. They, they, they crowdsourced it, yeah. And, the, and when she goes to college or whatever, that's pretty worthless. It's, but the first season is, it's the first season is like what, in a sense, it's kind of like watching Brick, which is also yeah. amazing. But uh, the important part, the connection for uh, Micey, you've probably not seen a page of it, right? Or Correct. Episode, um, is uh. It's a father-daughter private detective agency. The daughter's in high school. And uh, there's some scandal in the school with a local rich kid, and it's set in a small town, California. So it's basically PR, yeah. noir, um, with what I love, I love so much is that it's not, uh, it's not like softball, like Agatha Christie. No, it's stuff. for real. It's hardcore, mm-hmm. hard boiled, but with sunny, you know, California and a fun dad and a. Yeah, it's uh, like Buffy. If Buffy was set in a noir yep. kind of a yeah. thing, because the thing with the the girl Veronica Mars mm-hmm. is she was part of the the in crowd, mm-hmm. and now after an incident last year at the end of school, she's not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. part of it was that her best friend was murdered. Mm-hmm. So that kind of tells you everything. And it's this, as he says, it's this hard boiled situation that the story arc, the overwhelming story arc is she's trying to get her boyfriend back. But at the same time, this murder happened to her best friend and she's going to investigate it. And that's the hard boiled part. And the father is, uh, oh gosh, he's great. Because yeah. he's continually, he was the sheriff, but because of this scandal, he's now having to have a detective agency. So, like, um, you get always the sense with this detective, with Philip Marlowe, there's been a fall from grace. Yep. Mm, okay. You know, it's really well done. And it has a great uh, opening song as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. I guess we're done, right? Yeah. We're done. We're done. Well, we didn't talk about how much better L- um Elliot Gould was. Oh man! He's oh yeah, we. You know what? That I was mean, part of my problem with that movie, uh, the '75 one. With the Robert sure. Mitchum. He's not with Elliot Robert Gould. Mitchum. Yeah. He's not Elliot he's not, Gould. Yeah, he's not Elliot Gould. I guess like, oh, it's not him. Especially because listening to Elliot Gould do it was yeah. so good. It was so good. And you know, 
I, but it was uh, abridged, right? No, oh. it wasn't. So the Ray Porter version is uh-huh. a little bit longer, but I think it's Elliot Gould talks fast. <laughs> no, 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 no. There actually is nope. there actually actually there They're is abridged. a missing part. What? They're abridged. What? All the Ray, all the Elliot Gould ones are abridged. It shows really? his, it shows his um unabridged. Oh, but, okay. But but but, but, but because I noticed because I went listen like wait a minute because between discs two and three mm-hmm. there, there's a jump in the plot I'm thinking well that's odd did I did I not hear something was I too busy talking to my boss and I went back and started reading the text like no there's a whole section there like this is not really? this is not uh, narrated uh, yeah it's a, so it is definitely abridged well it doesn't oh. say that on on the on archive.org download that I got. <laughs> it, 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 it is most definitely a bridge because there's a there's a whole se- I mean because it goes from him meeting uh, Anne Reardon to her being in in, in in the in the gold version to her her being her being in his his office the next day and mm. skips the whole section that I had to go listen to the other section to catch up on. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't notice that. Yeah, Audible lists them as a bridge. So they yeah. don't even have them though there, do they? Well, the, they used uh, to. The old ones? Yeah, they used to have. Yeah, they used to. They don't I don't know if they anymore. still do. No, do you, did he voice all of them? Uh, no, I don't know. Well, at least that never showed up there. That's the only place I ever looked around. Yeah. It's funny because they I couldn't find them there. I only found uh, the Ray Porter. Porter. One. Yeah, and it's and funny because they. Know, used he's to not have... terrible. He's not terrible at all. But I'm like, I have a choice. I can listen to Elliot Gould tell this story, or I can listen to Ray Porter tell the story. And I'm like, I'm going with Elliot Gould. <laughs> Ray Porter <laughs> always plays him a little too much as a dummy, and he's not a dummy. I feel like his narration yeah, always is kind of on the simpleton. Emphasis. I, think, I think it's Elliot Gould's kind of a simpleton. <laughs> well, I don't know. I haven't listened to him because I. He's a weird guy, but that style comes through somehow. It does, yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mean to explain the Corpus Delicious joke. Yeah, what was that? That that was that was in uh, the Falcon. The the guy keeps saying, uh, "You can't prove anything on me. You don't have a Corpus Corpus Delicious." <laughs> he says it again and again in the movie. Instead of Corpus Delecti, God. Yes, uh, I know. I I, I just kept laughing, like, "Oh God, yummy!" Oh, yeah, right. And I wanted to remind everybody to to remind me to laugh on my day off because that's what Nulty said a million times. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. All right. So, uh, wasn't there a quotes page? I can't. I can't find oh, that. Yeah, out. there's a quotes page. Do you want me to send it to you? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um. Well, while you do that, I'll refill my bit. drink. <laughs> okay. Well, um Oh, and I got to get my blackjack. Where is it? I must have left it in my other pants. <laughs> but do you have your hat? Cuz if you're not properly dressed, right. we really can't speak. Of course I have my hat. All right. That's all right. Only time I, have I don't have my sensitive... hat on is when I'm using it to smash through a window. That's all right. I have my low-cut decolletage <laughs> ready. Oh, good. And my upswept gorgeous hair and so good. forth. My jade necklace and, and, and don't cannot be found. The five-shot pistol in your purse. <laughs> five-shot. If pistol. it's not, if it's not hidden somewhere else, more it, obvious. That you can only use to shoot butterflies. Uh, yes. Into the stomach <laughs> of your. 
That's right. Paul's got his Russian cigarettes. He's ready. They're also not the special marijuana in them either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Just cards of psychics. <laughs> okay, good. We got a. I think we got everything we need, right? All right. Paul, you ready? I'm setting up the recorder and hoping it works. Okay. All right. Uh, I've missed you guys, by the way. Yeah. Well, uh, well, how We've long has it been? Months and months and months. It's been at least since like October, I would say at least. Yeah. Yeah. Really long time. Let's see if I can find out. Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> More piece of information to be found. Oh, uh, well, we did do the long goodbye. Uh, yeah. Uh, and now I can't. Um, it's finding on some other website. I can't believe I thought that was too long. You thought that was too long? Well, it was pretty Save long. It for the goodbye. podcast. And uh, yeah, no, I'm I I can re-say it for the podcast. Yeah, save it for the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Okay, I've I already refrained from saying that. several things to keep you from saying that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like my general reaction to this book. Ooh. Really? Ooh. Oh. I gotta I gotta say save it for the podcast. Yeah. Um, they can redo their ooze. The last time Julie was on the podcast was. October 9th with the Goblin Reservation. Okay, I was right. No, October. No, I don't think I. I think I had to beg out on yeah, that one. Oh, oh, oh you listed. You listed on the. I had to beg double off. star. Double star. Oh, double that star. Was that double is star. a long time ago. That was it. That was August. September. Oh. September oh, wow. was when it came Holy. out. Holy! No wonder it was I been right. It was August though, and uh, wow. that is a long time ago. I'm sorry. Well, as long as we don't go a full year, we're we're probably all right. I'm glad you remembered me. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about I was thinking of, uh, we tried to get you on for another one too, but um, I, no, is that one? I, yeah, what was it? Was uh, go, the gripping the, hand? The, yeah, gripping hand. Mm, oh, right. But I hate that book so much. I was not going to repeat it. No way. <laughs> I forgot. You're right. No way. Not putting myself through that again. All right, let's let's get started. <laughs> let's get started. All right. Uh, everybody know their places.